Welcome to this special edition of Daily Vet Life, where we're bringing you short interview synopses of presentations from the 2021 AAEP convention. These special editions are brought to you by Zoetis. In this episode, we're talking to Amy McLean, PhD, an assistant professor of teaching in the Department of Animal Science at the University of California, Davis. Her overall research is aimed at improving equine management behavior and welfare with a specific interest in donkeys, mules, hennies, and working equids in developing countries. Dr. McLean's current research interests include mule behavior focused on pain assessment using the facial grimace scale, behavior development starting with early foal handling, and hematology and blood chemistry reference values in clinically healthy mules and hennies, among other projects. Dr. McLean's AAEP presentation was on improving the understanding of normal and pain-related donkey and mule behavior. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. McLean. Oh, thank you for having me, Kim. Looking forward to speaking to you. Well, I'm going to warn our audience that um, she, Dr. McLean and I did have a, a chat ahead of this because I'm a, a mule lover and she is a mule fanatic. And she's actually uh, getting ready to do some competitions on her mule. And she also does some work for the Equitarian group. Uh, in in other countries, and you know, with her expertise in in mules and donkeys and asses, that's a, a huge benefit. So, thank you very much for that work, Dr. McLean. Thank you, Kim. I'm actually leaving after this show to head to Morocco to do some mule research. So, yep, continuing my equitarian involvement for sure. Well, that's wonderful. And if anybody's interested um, in the article on equimanagement.com that goes with this podcast, I'll make sure and include a link to the Equitarian group. And that way, if you might have an interest in volunteering or doing some work, then you can, can go along and get a little more information. So anyway, I am going to just let you give us maybe some of the key points that you discussed in your AAEP presentation. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of things we discussed in um, in the presentation was presented at AEP. Some of it just spoke on the initial approach in handling a mule and donkey cases. Um, donkeys seem to be a little more um, accepting of new people. And a lot of times we'll say unfamiliar people or, or clinical people where Mules are a little more cautious and maybe not as welcoming. So some of the key points talked about how to approach a mule or donkey. Um, they actually prefer approaching from the face on. And that came from a lot of research that we um, conducted at various mobile clinics with the Equitarian Initiative in Central and South America. And then also some clinics we did in Egypt and West Africa. Um, some of the other highlights were then how to safely work with mules and donkeys if there is a difficult approach um, because usually one of the first things you want to do is a clinical exam and if you can't even touch your patient that makes it a little more challenging so um, some of the highlights definitely talked about the approach letting them get familiar to you they actually provide the body language that it's okay to continue to get to know them um, before you go and try to take heart rate or rectal temperature um, 
I also discuss some of the ways that we can um, restrain donkeys and mules. Um, in some senses, they're easier to restrain because they respond similar to livestock um, where they will actually freeze and not have the strong flea response of horses. So some of the methods that tend to work um, fairly effectively before you can even get to maybe chemical restraint um, is using a nose twitch. Blindfolds work really well on mules and donkeys if they're in a new area, like in a clinic, and you're trying to actually get them into maybe a stock to do further examination or procedure like a, a dental or something like that. But um, um, they're also responsive to um, nose chains, not as much lip chains, but the nose twitch seems to be very effective um, in proceeding, especially if you need to do an injection. A lot of mules and donkeys are somewhat difficult to give um, injections to, so that makes then maybe chemical restraint even more difficult. Um, and along the lines of chemical restraint, we also um, highlighted um, some of the differences in different um, sedatives that can be used in mules and donkeys, different doses, um, what works well and what doesn't. General rule of thumb and a colleague who also presented on um, nutrition and pharmacokinetics in donkeys, Dr. Ramiro Torbio, went into great detail, but there is some information on looking at increasing the dose of various sedatives or applying them more frequently um, throughout the treatment or procedure you're doing just so they don't come awake, you know, if you're doing a dental or, you know, castration type of surgical procedure. And then um, the remaining part of the talk really focused a lot on, you know, what is normal versus abnormal behavior in a mule or donkey that are both very stoic animals um, mules, because they are part horse, or also I haven't really mentioned the term hennies, but the hennies are reciprocal cross. The, the dad is a stallion and the, and the mom is a, um, a female donkey, a Jenny or a Jeanette. But um, the mules tend to have a little more of a pain response because there is part of that flea nature, um, which makes it easier to sometimes identify acute painful cases by reading their body language or their ear position orbital tightening. Um, they seem to really be expressive with blinking and then also their body language with tail swishing. So a lot of movement in the tail when a donkey or mule is not comfortable. And we've been able to link that to, um, to painful cases. Um, so that was kind of in short what the talk was about. Um, we had some instructional videos from various clinics, especially abroad where I've worked, um, specifically the American Flying Duke in Fez, Morocco, where I'm going next week. This time I'll be on a plane headed there to do some research with mules and castration procedures. Part of the world's leading animal health company with a 70-year legacy, Zoetis Equine is committed to providing horse care products and services that veterinarians and their teams can count on. With trusted vaccines such as Corey-Q and Fluvax Innovator, leading diagnostics like the Staple Lab stall-side SAA blood test and the number one vet-trusted equine sedative, Dermosidan, and a portfolio of regenerative medicine devices that includes ProStride APS, Zoetis is always by your side. Be sure to follow Zoetis Equine on Facebook and Instagram today.
Yeah, I was fortunate enough to be able, when I went to the WEVA meeting that was held in Northern Africa to visit the American Fondue there, it's amazing work that they do. Yeah, it's a great clinic. And, you know, it's really special because there's not a lot of clinics abroad that have the capabilities that the Fondue has to do ultrasound, radiograph, um, actual, actual surgical suite. But even more important is the fact they have a hospital where they can continue to follow up on patients. Um, I did my PhD in Mali, West Africa, and I worked with another wonderful NGO and charity organization, SPANA. And everything we did was basically mobile clinics. And there was a small clinic in Bamako where people could bring in specifically donkeys. We treated a lot of donkeys in Mali, um, but still not to the, the capabilities that the Fonduke has at their fingertips. And again, it's just great from all their generous donors and supporters that have built that clinic. That's wonderful. Um, I, I want to go back and touch on a couple of things, if it's okay. One, because I have been around mules and donkeys. I'm not an expert. I think if you claim to be an expert of mules and donkeys, you haven't been around enough yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember trying to tell when when we had a, a mule at our place that belonged to my daughter, and I was trying to tell people who came up that you kind of have to let the donkey or, excuse me, the mule tell you when it's okay. And then I reminded them that there's no real, like a horse, if you're standing at its shoulder and got a good hand on the, the halter or whatever, that, you know, you're kind of in a safe position. But with a mule, that's not quite as true because, you know, they, they are very um, supple, kind of like a dog can reach up with, you know, back legs or front legs or whatever. And about that time, the mule reached up and scratched its front shoulder with a back foot. And I was like... Perfect point. So how do you tell people who aren't used to working on mules, especially how to judge them and be safe around them? Yeah, that's a great question. And we actually had a couple slides um, for this presentation on just different uh, people trying to approach mules and their body language and reaction because you're exactly right, Kim. They're so agile. You can stand at their shoulder and easily get kicked. Or, um, like I said, even some of the mules I've worked with in Egypt were quite aggressive and a bite concern was also biting and pawing were other concerns. But, you know, the biggest thing I like to do, and I think mules respond pretty well to this, like I said, the donkeys seem to be more curious, more forgiving, and they reach out to you and let you proceed the mules are more standoffish, they're more reserved, they're not as trusting. And that's one reason I like mules, because when I do gain their trust, I like the fact they trust me and I can do things with them that a lot of times maybe somebody else cannot. But if you're a practitioner, you're a farrier, you're a vet technician walking in trying to interact with a mule you just met, um, I like to put my hand out and I start at the forehead. And I want to see the mule reaching out with their nose or head and neck, ears in a nice forward alert position or to the side. And they're curious about me. And sometimes I use food to motivate them. I think that works really well. Um, they do not get as pushy about food rewards as sometimes horses will. And it just seems to be a nice introduction before you start to proceed. But once you can get them to reach out to you and not lay their ears flat or, or take their body and, and move, you know, to the right or to the left away from your body, um, 
then you, you can go on and start to proceed. But you really need to pay attention to their body language, also their body posture. Pay attention to the hind legs if they're maybe shifting their weight. And then look for the tail. Um, I mentioned this in, in another article that was done, of course, in the Horse Magazine about um, this talk. And the swishing of the tail is very similar to a cat. And when a cat's upset, they swish their tail sometimes. And the mules and donkeys will both do that. So if the mule is still in this more unapproachable body posture and expressing this type of language with ears pinned back, head and neck away from you, you know, just wait, just be patient, get to know them before, you know, it's kind of like going to your neighbor's house. You don't just open the door and walk in. You, you have some conversation first. So, so you need to have that conversation piece before you can continue on and you know it helps give a treat just like taking your neighbors maybe cookies or a cake <laughs> you know then you get invited in and the mule will do the same thing yeah and uh, mules also never forget I, uh, a farrier i saw one time and it wasn't our mule uh you know did the you know plump on the side when the mule did something and that mule never let that person touch her again yeah. so they they have a long memory <laughs> They, you know, they really do have a long memory. And I've also noticed, I haven't proven this yet with a, with a study, but there is some maybe gender bias that's associated with mules. And again, I think that just goes back to who they're used to, you know, if they're raised by a female or a male or whoever. Um, so I've noticed that too, with some of the mules, they seem to be more sensitive. Um, but I think you can win most of their hearts over just using a calm voice. If you stay calm, you reach out, you let them come to you, use the food, and then start with some pets and scratches on their forehead and then start to work your way back. Good. That's, that's good points. Uh, and when you were talking about pain and sedation, um, let's, and this is for a veterinary audience, vets and vet techs. So let's talk a little bit about some advice if you need to sedate a mule or donkey for some sort of work, or if, you know, you're, you're trying to um, judge, say that you're, you're doing something as simple as, as uh, trying to see if, which foot hurts. I mean, give us some examples of different types of pain responses and the types of medications you might suggest for mules, because they do react differently, as you said. Yeah. Um, We'll start with the sedation. Um, so if we're trying to sedate to say maybe do a, a dental or um, just try to maybe examine the eye, you know, a, a basic kind of more routine procedure, but we're going to have to be invasive to some degree. The mules seem to respond pretty well to xylazine and then to also um, detonamide or demorsodam being the, the trade name. Again, it just depends on how excited the mule is when it comes into the clinic, um, how often you're going to have to basically top off or administer more. Um, I'm a big fan of just going straight for the detonamide um, compared to the xylazine. Um, but again, if the mule is pretty gentle and easy to work with, then I may just start with the xylazine. Um, the sedative effect of the xylazine is not as long acting as, of course, the detonamide. Um, 
So again, we're looking at maybe if we sedate with xylazine, we have 15 to 20 minutes at the most to get in and get out. And as you mentioned earlier, mules do not forget things. So we want this to be a positive experience, whatever we're doing. So we don't want them to come out of the sedation and we're still midway through our procedure. Um, and there's information about this in greater detail in um, the proceedings. And then also in a book chapter I wrote for Vet Clinics North America for the special mule and donkey medicine edition that was published in December 2019 that will go into more detail on doses and then also the length of time they last. And as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Romero Torbio also went into the differences with different sedatives and analgesics and, and things like that. And, um, and the half-life, which a lot of times is so much quicker and metabolized quicker in mules and donkeys. Um, going back to the Demore sedan, um, again, works pretty effective. We've got a longer half-life with that. Um, and sedation, again, can last anywhere from 30 minutes to possibly two hours, just depending on um, the amount that we've given. So those are my kind of go-tos. Um, if I do need to sedate, um, that's what I would suggest. Then for, for analgesics, for surgery and stuff, and almost generally um, the go-to there. Um, the other question asking about how to identify various pains. Um, so, again, it just depends on what type of pain we're looking for. And I would say probably lameness is one of the harder pains to detect in horses and we, I'm sorry, in mules. Um, and it's even hard in some horses just thinking about their level of training. Is it chronic lameness? Is it acute lameness? And um, I provided an example in this um in this talk, I had two. I had a chronic laminitic donkey on all four. And then I had a mule that had an infection in the uh, burst of his hawk. And um, the donkey that was the chronic laminitic case, um, very animated when she tried to walk. We had hanging and pointing of front limbs. And you know, it was chronic enough. It was to a foundered state. So we see similar reactions in maybe horses, but most horses that would be in the same laminitic advanced state would really be rocked back on their hindquarters and hardly moving at all. And we did see that in the donkey, but we also saw the attempt of the donkey to continue to move and continue to live. Um, so we can look for those similar signs, but keep in mind because a donkey's natural reaction to fear or to predation is to freeze and then fight. So they just don't, they're not as expressive in their signs of pain. So, so we just have to look a little bit um, deeper. Now, the mule case that I shared with the infection in the bursa of the hawk, um, what first suggested to me that there was a problem, and this was actually my own personal mule, was I just ridden him for an hour or so again getting ready for a show got off he was pointing um he wasn't actually pointing he was resting his right hind and i thought hmm that's interesting but you know of course it's natural for a horse a mule or donkey to rest on the hind there was a little bit of shifting um but just resting um he continued to rest 
the hind foot. So a little bit of pointing going on um, for the next 24 hours. So I thought, you know what? Maybe I should should apply an anacet. So my go-to was to give them bute. And again, if you are going to give a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, you also want to read up on the appropriate doses of bute and banamine. Again, a tab, uh, metabolize much quicker in a mule or a horse, of, a mule or a donkey of the same size. So um, that needs to be taken into account. So I dosed at 1.1 milligrams per milliliter and there was no improvement the next day. And this case continued on several days, finally got to a local clinic. They did some examinations. Oh, we just think he strained his hock, which was not the case at all. Um, and I shared videos of him lunging in a round pin to the right, to the left, and then also trotting away on hard ground. Just when we think about a lameness score, he might have been a two at the most, but it was very subtle. Um, we took him off of the butte and changed to fibrocoxin, which is metabolized three times faster in donkeys. We do not know in mules. There's no studies, to my knowledge, that have been done yet on the pharmacology of fibrocoxin in mules. The next day, he got up. He was not weight-bearing on that limb. He was pointing his toe. Um, we had more swelling, went back to the clinic, had yellow fluid, actually, after they... Um, they pulled a sample and that was when we finally found out, okay, infection in the bursa. It's kind of a long story, but again, if this had been a horse, I think the horse would have been a lot more expressive much earlier on. And we would not have had to have gotten to that level of pain to finally go, all right, my foot hurts. <laughs> my yeah, heart, yeah. It cannot bear any weight. Um, so that, you know, that, that makes it a little more frustrating, but as an owner, if you pay attention to the signs of they don't want to eat, they're still not, you know, dropping their heel, they're shifting weight, there's slight, they're pawing. He did a lot of pawing at the ground. Um, those were all signs that led us that no, he's still not right. You know, there's still a lameness concern that's happening. Um, a few other cases that I shared and I mentioned early on, eye blinking also being one. Um, I shared a case with a donkey that um, had a fracture to their lumbar vertebra. Came into the American fondue, just looked like a small lesion on the back, on the loin area of the donkey. And when the, the lesion was being cleaned and flushed by one of the vet students at the clinic, the donkey kept dropping his head and neck and there was a lot of eye blinking. The ears were positioned down. And then if you actually looked at the nostrils, we saw some just slight flaring of the nostrils. So possibly an increase in respiration. Um, and also a real um, fixed stare to the eyes. And sometimes we see this in horses as well. Um, but really the big giveaway with him was continue to blink with his eyes. And then when you looked at his whole body, you saw the movement of the tail moving back and forth. And then you saw his whole back would just drop when water just touched this area, this lesion. So he went for x-ray. And again, that's what's fantastic about that clinic. Um, they were able to x-ray the, the vertebras and they were like, oh, yeah, there's a fracture right here. No wonder why he's so reactive. Um, but again, that was 
it was great to have the technology there, but very subtle. He just came in. It just looked like a small lesion, probably a rub from, you know, the harness and the, the type of padding that was being used. But it was actually much more severe than that. Um, so similar signs of what we see in horses. But they're just expressed, in my opinion, at a lower level. So we have to be very intuitive and watch those behavioral reactions in the face, the ear position, eye blinking, um, and then also tail movement. I think those are all areas to, that are ex expressive in donkeys and mules. And keep in mind that they really might not show a lot of indications of pain until the disease like the infection of the heart becomes more advanced or we take them off of a supportive, you know, medication. And then, oh, because they metabolize it so much quicker, it's become more painful. We can now finally see that pain. Yeah. And I know a lot of uh, veterinarians and techs listening to this are probably going, yeah, well, I do hunter jumpers on the East Coast or I've got a, you know, upper level you know, stables, English stables down in Florida or something. I was talking to a vet in Tennessee and a vet in Florida that said, you cannot find a miniature donkey anywhere or even a miniature mule. People are getting them, everybody that gets five acres or that has hunter jumpers, apparently, they're wanting these as companions because I guess they're, you know, donkeys are very sweet and friendly. And uh, so if you think that you're doing a hunter jumper, the next time you go out, you may have to attend the donkey. So it, it's probably a good idea to kind of keep this. I, I heard somebody the other day say that uh, miniature donkeys were going for $4,000 a piece if you could find one. Yeah. And that, you know, that's been the interest and in why there's been a push for more um information from a medical standpoint and management is because there has been an increase in donkeys, especially as companion animals throughout the U.S. and other industrial countries. And then from a recreation and even performance side, a lot of people are looking to getting donkeys that are the bigger mammoth donkeys for riding purposes. And the mules are extremely um, popular. Yes. So I'm if you're a tourist and you're going to go visit the Grand Canyon, you're not going to be put on a horse. They're going to put you on a mule that's going to safely and sure-footedly take you down into the canyon and back. And they've been doing that for years. And people go out and they have that great experience and they want a mule. And that's the other thing that's interesting is a lot of the mule and donkey owners that we interact with um, a lot of times have never had a horse before. So they're coming at this with very limited knowledge. And then they go to their veterinarian and their veterinarian likely when they were in vet school had very little curriculum that actually focused on donkeys and mules. And they are different species. Their heart rate's different. Even their baseline temperature is different. So of course the way they show pain, metabolize medications, not the same as a horse. And I just, I just feel very passionate about trying to get the information in the hands of those that are now being asked to medically treat them and, and make them better for their owners. Well, we certainly do appreciate you uh, spending some time with us today, Dr. McLean, and we're going to have to get you back on some of our other programs, I think, just to uh, to talk to you more, because as, as you know, I'm a, a big fan of mules and donkeys. My miniature donkey is outside right now on in food jail which most miniature donkeys <laughs> need to be on um, 
So, yeah, and she was she was one of those rescues. They uh, just I went to buy a horse and they threw her on the trailer as an unbroke yearling said, if you don't want her, bring her back. And that was like fourteen <laughs> years ago or whatever it was. So, yeah, I mean, they're 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 wonderful creatures. You know, I've been around some excellent mules and I'm sure there's bad mules, just like there's bad horses. And by that, I mean, they they were bad because they weren't raised and trained and treated properly. Not that they were born bad. I shouldn't don't don't need to give that idea away to anyone. Um, but I, I really hope that uh, people get a chance to have some good experiences with donkeys and mules. And it's nice to have people like you who are interested in teaching us more so that we can be better uh, stewards of these animals. Yeah, th- thank you, Kim. I, I can't agree more. You know, usually the way the mules or donkeys respond to people as a reflection of how they've been treated in the past or, or haven't been interacted with at all. So, um, and that's where they do become more challenging in clinical settings. So um, anything I can do to help try to get information out and really appreciate you doing this and recognizing the importance that we do need some help and information and focused on the long years, I, I think is helping um, just improve their overall care and the understanding of these unique animals. Well, again, thank you very much and good luck on your trip to Morocco and the American Fonduke there. We really appreciate it. And we want to thank our audience for joining us today on this special edition of the Daily Vet Life brought to us uh, from the AAEP convention presentations by Zoetis. And you can listen to all 12 of these special editions of Daily Vet Life podcast on your favorite podcast network, or just go to equimanagement.com and we'll have an article for each one of the podcasts and a player on that page so you can listen to them there. Thank you very much for joining us today. Bye-bye. 